I really appreciate you sharing that, and uh, you'll f- see how it fits in with what I'm going to share this morning. And I want to say thanks to Tara for those stories too, that kind of touched my heart, because I had a very special relationship with my father. And uh, one of the things he said to me when I left home is he said, you're always welcome back here, no matter what you've done, wherever you go, you're always welcome at home. And I've never forgotten that, that was really, really special. So I want to share with you this morning about, <coughs> it's not Christmas, it's even better. And uh, I'm going to pray as we start, and then I want to share a short story with you, which I think you'll find very interesting. Lord, we just thank you that it is a real privilege to be with your people this morning. I thank you that you love us, you care for us, and not just us, but you love the people in our community. And I pray that you would increase our faith this morning through what you hear from your word. You give us expectations of greater things that we can do and be involved in as a church. And, and we will see people enter your kingdom through some of the things that we do. So we just ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to us now and encourage us in your name. Amen. 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 Now, have you ever heard of the Roman Empire? Yep. Ever heard of the Colosseum? Yep. And you know what happened in the Colosseum? They had gladiatorial fights. And here we are. Gladi- the gladiators fought there and died while entertaining others. Now we just watch Super Rugby and stuff like that instead. But have you ever heard of a guy called Telemachus? Anyone ever heard of a man called Telemachus? Telemachus. He changed history. Now I want to read you the story of Telemachus. And as I read it, I want you to ask yourselves, what are the principles in this story that could apply to us today and to our church. Okay? So even if you can just think of one, that's all right. In the 4th century, and that was a long time ago, there lived an Asiatic monk who had spent most of his life in a monastic community of prayer, raising vegetables for the cloister kitchen. That's what he did. When he was not tending his garden spot, he was fulfilling his vocation of study and prayer. Then one day, this monk named Telemachus felt that the Lord wanted him to go to Rome, the capital of the world, the busiest, wealthiest, biggest city in the world. Telemachus had no idea why he should go there, and he was terrified of the thought. But as he prayed, God's direction became clear. How bewildered the little monk must have been as he set off on this long journey on foot, over dusty roads westward, everything he owned on his back. Why was he going? He didn't know. What would he find there? He had no idea. But obediently, he went. Telemachus arrived in Rome during the holiday festival. You may know that the Roman rulers kept the ghettos quiet in those days by providing free bread and special entertainment called circuses. At the time Telemachus arrived, the city was also bustling with excitement over the recent Roman victory over the Goths. In the midst of this jubilant commotion, the monk looked for clues as to why God had brought him there, for he had no guidance, not even a superior in a religious order to contact. Perhaps he thought, it's no coincidence that I have arrived at the festival time. Perhaps God has some special role for me to play. So Telemachus let the crowds guide him, and the stream of humanity soon led him into the Colosseum, where the gladiatorial contests were to be staged. 
could hear the cries of the animals in their cages beneath the floor of the great arena and the clamour of the contestants preparing to do battle. The gladiators marched into the arena, saluted the emperor and shouted, We who are about to die salute thee. Telemachus shuddered. He'd never heard of gladiatorial games before, but he had a premonition of awful violence. The crowd had come to cheer men who, for no reason other than amusement, would murder each other. Human lives are offered for entertainment. And as the monk realised what was going to happen, he realised that he couldn't sit still and watch such savagery. Neither could he leave and forget. So he jumped to the top of the perimeter wall and cried, In the name of Christ, forbear! The fighting began, of course. No one paid the slightest heed to the puny voice. So Telemachus pattered down the stone steps and leapt onto the sandy floor of the arena. He made a comic figure. Can you imagine it? A, a scrawny man in a monk's habit dashing backwards and forth between muscular, armed, fighting athletes. One gladiator sent him sprawling with a blow from his shield, directing him back to his seat. It was a rough gesture, although a kind one. And the crowd cheered. But Telemachus refused to stop. He rushed into the way of those trying to fight, shouting again, In the name of Christ, forbear! Well, stop! The crowd began to laugh and cheer him on, perhaps thinking him part of the entertainment. Then his movement blocked the vision of one of the contestants. The gladiator saw a blow coming just in time. Furious now, the crowd began to cry for the interloper's blood. Run him through, they screamed! The gladiator he had blocked raised his sword and with a flash of steel stuck Telemachus, slashing him down his chest and into his stomach. The little monk gasped, monk gasped once more, In the name of Christ, forbear, stop! Then a strange thing happened. As the two gladiators and the crowd focused on the still form on the suddenly crimson sand, the arena grew deathly quiet. In the silence, somebody in the top tier got up and walked out. Another followed. All over the arena, spect spectators began to leave until the huge stadium was emptied. There were other forces at work, of course, but that innocent figure lying in the pool of blood crystallised the opposition. And that was the last gladiatorial contest in the Roman Empire. Never again did men kill each other for the crowd's entertainment. Amazing story. It's a moving story. I took four things out of this that I want us to apply as we look at what I'm going to say today after this and as we move into the future. One person can make a difference and change the trajectory of individual lives, the lives of a community and the lives of a nation. And we've seen that with Anna. One person can make a difference. Secondly, Telemachus responded to something God was saying to him. He had a part of a vision, and he walked down the track of what God was saying to him. He was obedient to the vision that God had called him. He didn't know what the future was going to hold. The third thing, it wasn't an act in isolation. In other words, there had been a lot happening before. 
but what he did crystallized and brought into focus what was happening before, and he was the spark that set it off, and you can be that person. And the fourth thing, sometimes it takes sacrifice. Always take sacrifice. If we, Jesus said, follow me. Take up your cross, follow me. That's sacrifice. So what we're looking at today is something that, yeah, we're looking for individuals who will make a difference. We're looking for a vision. We're building on something that was in the past, and it's going to take sacrifice. So let's have a look at Matthew 9, 35 to 38. And you're probably wondering, how on earth has this got anything to do with what happened in the Colosseum? Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Next one there. Next one. Um. Here we are. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. And I guess when you look at that, you think, well, I'm just going to give you another heavy about evangelism. Well, I'm not actually. <laughs> uh, you can relax. At the end of it, you can tell me whether it was a heavy or not. But one of the first things we must do when we come to God's word is to start to ask questions. And uh, when you read the Bible, first thing to do is come with a question. Because if you come with a question, it means you're expecting something to happen. If you don't have any questions, you're not expecting anything to happen. Your mind is closed. So when we come to the Word of God, we want some questions because we're expecting to receive something. And that something is not just head knowledge, it's heart knowledge. We want something to impact us. We want to receive so we can pass it on to other people. And some of the questions are, is why is the Scripture here in the first place? Why was that Scripture put there in that particular part of the New Testament. Why was it put there? Well, we'll answer that in a minute. That's really important. And why was it put in this historical context? You know, you've got to ask this. What's it saying? What's it saying to us? What's the challenge for us? And how can we respond? It's interesting. If you look at the first question, which is why is the scripture here? If we can go back to the first, first bit there, uh, Josh, one before. First of all, it's a summary. It's a summary of how Jesus engaged with people. And it said he taught, went through the towns and the villages. So he was out there with the people in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing diseases and stuff like that. He connected with people. He proclaimed the kingdom of God. He taught and he proclaimed. And this whole concept of the the kingdom of God, was actually something that was really radical at the time. Incredibly radical. The first thing Jesus said was, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the kingdom of heaven is where God has broken into, human, into humankind, into humanity. The future is seen in the present. And we know what the future is like. We read in the book of Revelation where there's going to be no more sickness, no more disease, no more crying, no more pain, no more suffering. And in the kingdom of God, Jesus brought the future into the present. So people get a foretaste of the future. Now, not everyone was healed, and they still aren't today. But we experience God's dynamic offer, offer, operating in our lives. That's a foretaste of the future. So Jesus taught. He went out there, 
He taught them what, what they were to or could experience under God, and then he demonstrated it through the healings that he did. So there was not only a going out, but there was a teaching aspect, and then there was an action aspect with the, um, with the teaching. So there was a strategy, there was a direction, there was content, and there was action. And it's a model for the disciples, because if you look at the disciples later on, this is what they did. If you look at, out of, out of take um, the, the 12 disciples after Judas, because they elected another one, 11 out of the 12 were killed. They were actually martyred, okay? But you look at where they went. Went all over the world, and I'll come back to that later on. So it was a model, and in a sense... And I don't say this in any critical sense, but I think in a sense, as a church, as a church generally, we've kind of missed it. Because, you see, when you look at Jesus' model, the church actually isn't mentioned. The focus was on the kingdom of God. And I think in some ways, we've shifted the focus onto the church. Now, the church, before you accuse me of heresy, just let me say, <laughs> the church is the people that have been impacted by the kingdom who are meeting together. Yeah. Make sense? Yeah. But the focus is always to be on the kingdom. Now, this is Jesus' model, and the reason it was put there is, is because the disciples remembered it and wanted to record it, but it's also a record for us in how we are to operate. So the focus is always to be on the kingdom, not on the church. The church is the vehicle or the people of, of the kingdom as it were meeting together. And look, if you have a look in John 3.16, which is one of the most famous verses, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. God did something. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. That same model, being sent, going out, going out to where people are, not staying where we are, expecting them to come to us, but actually going out there and interacting, being involved. Yeah. Now, it's a model here, but we need to contextualize it for ourselves. Because we don't live in a village community. And it's a totally different world. So we have to contextualize it and find out what is God saying for us? How can we operate that model, but in a way that's relative to our culture? And we're going to be sharing with you some things um, later on, how we're going to do that. But the second thing the scripture tells us, it tells us about Jesus' heart. In verse 36, it said, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Now, it's an interesting word, compassion, because there's a lot, of the, a lot of the time it's mentioned in the Bible, in the Old Testament, it's got um, God full of compassion, Psalm, Psalm 86, Psalm Isaiah 30, verse 18, the Lord longs to be gracious to you, therefore he will rise up to show you compassion. Isaiah 49, the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. Now, the, the word compassion is much more than just saying, look, I feel sorry for people. You know, I'm really sorry that's happened to you. The word compassion means it hits you in your guts. Do you, you know, if you have that feeling when you, you see people in pain and agony or something, and it really gets you inside there. Now, that's actually what the word means. It's a very, very interesting word. So it means to be moved in the innermost parts of your being, to have a desire not only to identify with the pain of that person, but to actually do something about it. So it's really a reflection of our love and our concern for people, but more than that, to reach out and actually do something about that situation. And Jesus looked at them, he said, look, they're harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. 
a few years ago, a friend of mine was in Israel, and um, he saw this, these sheep, and they've been driven along the road. And he said to the tour guide, he said, I thought in Israel, sheep has walked in front of the sheep, leading them. And he said, well, that's not the shepherd, that's the butcher. <laughs> Interesting, isn't it? Now, Jesus saw these people, they were harassed. And it's actually a very interesting word, and helpless. The word harassed means troubled, annoyed, vexed. It's actually a root word for being skinned alive. Now, that's a horrific kind of, if people were being skinned alive, they'd be in incredible pain or distressed, helpless, though, thrown down, scattered, people in pain, alienated, hurting. So Jesus looked at these people in these communities, in the villages, at the crowds. He had compassion on them. Because that's what they were like. They were being torn apart as individuals. And you think of the people in our community. Do you know people like that? Harassed, helpless, being torn apart. Do you know people like that? Through no fault of their own sometimes, and sometimes through their own stupid decisions. But Jesus didn't differentiate. He didn't say, because you made some stupid decisions, then that's your fault, you can live with it. He saw all these people, and he had compassion on them. And, you know, you listen to the news sometime and you think, man, my heart just turns. Sometimes I want to turn it off. My wife said, look, I'm sick of listening to all this crime stuff on TV, all this terrible stuff. But, you know, the interesting thing, when we talk about compassion, do you know the only worldview that has a proper basis for compassion is the judo-Christian worldview? Do you hear what I'm saying? The only worldview out of any religious worldview in the world, and including in that atheism, humanism, all the rest, the only worldview that has a basis, proper basis for compassion is a judo-Christian worldview. Because it's the only worldview that actually identifies what we are, that we're made in the image of God. Okay? And, and we're made for the love of God. We're not just something that's been created by chance. So if you have a look at um, have a look at the likes of humanism, now before I, I look at humanism, I'll say, look, you'll find individuals in every religious walk of life that are deeply compassionate people. We're not talking about that. We're talking about worldviews that change people's minds, that cause people to act in a certain way. And we've seen huge changes in our culture, as we've seen in some of the Sunday nights that I've been um, doing the seminars on. Humanism which is our current religious worldview. Man is a product of chance. That's it. There's no significance for man. And so in America, there are 650,000 abortions per year in America. That's how they value human life. In New Zealand, there's 13,000. In the last century, there was over 100 million people killed as a result of atheistic humanism. Okay? So there's no compassion in humanism. The only reason we have any sense of compassion in our Western world is because of the Judo-Christian heritage that has provided it. And also because God has put something in men's hearts as well. I take something like Buddhism. You know, Buddhism is supposed to be compassionate. That's actually a, a real misnomer. They say that compassion is the wish for another being to be free from suffering. Just the wish. So you've heard of karma? The law of karma? So if you see something's happening to somebody, that's karma happening to them. That's the result of something they've done in the previous life. And therefore, they have to pay that price in order 
to get into the next life. Now, why would you want to interfere with that? If you believe that you're a Buddhist and you believe that, if you actually help them, you're interfering with their karma. That works against everything that we're talking about in terms of compassion. Buddhism has no understanding of the nature of, of humanity. A human being is no more significant than a drop of water that falls into the ocean. You check it out. And then we get to Islam, which is probably the biggest, um, or now the world's biggest religions. Do you know that the God of Islam, and I say very carefully, the God of Islam, Allah, has no love at all for non-believers. If you're a non-believer, he has no love for any non-believer at all. You compare that with a Christian faith. God says, God loves you no matter who you are, what religious faith you come from, what age you've done, what age you are, what you've done in your life, anything. God has a passionate love for you because you're his creation. Under Islam, you're a slave. You're not made in the image of God. And we'll cover a lot of that when I do this next seminar on Islam, which is pretty scary stuff, believe you me. So when you look at different worldviews, only Christianity provides a basis or an understanding of, of in Judeo-Christian worldview of what compassion it is because it's a reflection of the heart of our creator, God. And when we receive God's spirit, we receive the ability to feel compassion for other people. It's because we understand the love of God. We understand that, look, if God can forgive me for some of the things I've done, <laughs> he can forgive other people. We understand what grace is. So we treat other people with love and grace and acceptance because that's the way God's treated us. But all that knowledge needs to be linked with direction, strategy, and action. And so Jesus said to his disciples, can we have that, that second slide up again, Josh, please? Here we are. He, he said to his disciples, I'm going to give you a formula. You're to go into the world and you're going to evangelize. And if you don't go out and evangelize, I'm going to beat you up. They didn't say that. Um, he, he said, look, you state a fact. And you look at the genius of Jesus is actually reflected in these verses. I, I think they're incredible verses. I was really struck by them. He said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. I mean, that's true in our culture, in, in our churches. The harvest is plentiful in our community. There are people out there today that are desperate desperate financial situations, desperate health situations. They've got desperate situations in terms of depression, of where they're going in life, what choices to make. They've got pain in their families, but the workers are few. And then Jesus said, and then Jesus said to them, and I love this, but I think it's incredible. He said, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. So he didn't direct them. He didn't say, look, you've got to go out there and do it and find 10 other people to do it and I'll reward you. Um, he said to them, ask. We come back to this thing of asking again because if you take the risk to ask, there's <laughs> a good chance God will actually say something. And if, if you ask, it actually means that you want to be involved as part of the answer. You want to, to be a reflection of the model that Jesus had or Jesus showed. You ask. But the other thing, he said, ask the Lord of the harvest to send it. So if you ask, God's going to give you an answer that's tailor-made for you. Yeah. I mean, one of the worst things we do in church is try and put everyone in a straitjacket. We tell them, you've got to do this and you've got to do it that way. 
I'm an individual. And when people say things like that to me, I react. I'm, because I think, you know, many of you, no, okay. and uh, many of you feel the same way. But look, it was interesting because, um, oh, I'll share this with you in a minute. We'll get, we'll get to it in a tick. So Jesus didn't give a formula. But he, he said to his disciples, ask. Why? When you look at the 12 disciples, 11 of them ended up being martyred. One of them went to India. That was his response to the asking. And you look at where they all went. They're all workers in the harvest. And if you ask, you may be surprised where you end up. That's all I'm saying. So over the last... Um, over the last few weeks, we, a few group of us have been working on a, um, a bit of a vision for something we want to do next year. And uh, Josh, if you can put this up, please. And uh, next one, if you would, there it is. Yeah. What we're looking at is a vision. It's called The Love from St. Albans, and it's going to take place on the 23rd and 24th of February next year. And if we have the next one up, please. So the purpose of it is that acts of practical love will raise our profile in the community, thus creating opportunities for effective service and outreach so we can advance the kingdom of God and grow the church. Okay, so we're going to be going out into the community. And this is something that everyone in the church can be involved in. Whatever form you want to take. I'm not going to tell you what to do, but we are going to offer some opportunities. And we're going to be looking for you, some creative responses from, from you folk. So we're picking up on Jesus' kind of formula. Going out there, or the model that he gave, we're going to be going out. Next one, please. Um, just go back, can you? I'll get Wendy to come up. She's here. Where are you, Wendy? No, she's not here this morning. Never mind. So go, go back if you can. Um, flick on, sorry, flick on the one after that. I'm losing myself here. So anyway, what we're going to be doing is... Prior to the Saturday, which is obviously in February next year, we're going to be prayer walking key areas. And Wendy was going to be here this morning and sharing a little bit about the prayer walking. So she's already started on that, and she's going to be building together a team. And we're going to be doing some prayer walking through those areas. We're going to do some selected streets. We're going to cover the whole area. We're going to leaflet drop to each household in a selected area, and that'll cover a whole lot of things. Next one, please. And these are some of the planned activities. Next one, Josh, thanks. Door-to-door -door offering help. Imagine if you knocked on somebody's door and one of the older people had somebody from the youth group and you knocked on somebody's door and said, look, you received our letter during the week. We're from St. Albans Baptist Church. We have a nice T-shirt we're going to get for people. And it's got love from St. Albans on it. And uh, is there anything we can do for you? Yeah, we'd like to do your dishes or mow your lawn or something and say take an hour. And so you talk to the people, and um, we're going to do a little questionnaire as well. We're going to find out a few things and develop a database. And at the end of it, imagine if you said to them, look, if you, I'd like to pray for you as a, as, as, a, as, a, as a Christian. I just want to pray a blessing on your home. Got any things in particular that you want to have prayed for? And imagine if somebody said, well, actually, I've got a bit of a sickness. You know, I've got a bit of cancer. I just found out I've got cancer. 
And, and you'll find people will open up to you because it's just the opposite of Jehovah's Witnesses. The door goes bang, but they'll be expecting you. And if you serve people, you earn the right to actually say something and do something. So imagine if you prayed for them and they got healed. Yeah. How good would that be? Right. Where do you think they'd be next Sunday? Yeah. See what I mean? They say, wow, I want a bit more of this. But we've got to get out there and do it. Okay, next one. So there's going to be a lot more of this. We're going to do a boot sale at church. And uh, the areas we're going into, I want to say, um, uh, areas that, that the trust has been focusing on as well. So we're building on the work of the trust. It's not just something we're doing new. It's building on what's gone before. So we're going to have a boot sale at church. Um, and next one, please. Maybe do a bouncy castle, some free barbecues. Next one. Free rubbish collection using skips. I'm looking of applied to applying to a trust to get some money for some of these things. Free rubbish collection. Next one, please, Josh. Free car wash. Hopefully the youth group can all get wet and go crazy with the free car wash. Um, and we're going to look for some other ideas that you might have. But one of the things we will be doing is we'll have a questionnaire. And what we want to find out are things like, have you ever belonged to a church before? Because one of the biggest missions fields out there is people that have belonged to churches. And we know that St. Albans is a safe place for them to come. And we can invite them here with confidence. And we're going to be looking for people that are maybe interested in spiritual things, etc., etc. We've got to work on that. Okay, now we've got a little clip from Tori. Because she couldn't be here this morning. She's one of our team. Nigel's another one of our team here. And he's sitting there. He's been doing some great work and finding out costings and stuff. Sure will, Tori. If the worship team could come up, please, that'd be cool. So in the next slide, um, please, Josh. So how's it sound so far? Brilliant. Sounds like a good idea? Yeah, cool. I think it's exciting. So what we've got, we've got a vision. Um, and we're going to put some legs on it. And uh, we want you to pray about it during the week and, and obviously later on. We're going to be doing the survey monkey, so you'll each get an email asking if you've got any ideas where you want to be involved. And some of you might just want to go door knocking. Well, that's fine. We'll give you a bit of training and stuff. So the survey, previous contacts, identify if people are interested in finding out more, develop a database, um, and we'll find out some interesting things out there. Because if you start serving people, and I've done a lot of door knocking, you, find, you start get inside people's doors and they start talking to you. And people often share their life story in about 10 minutes. And they're really open. And we're in a great position as a church to be able to do something. You know, the stuff that Anna's got, for, for example. Um, we've also got a team from YWAM that's looking seriously at coming. Oh, here's Wendy. I'm here now, sorry. You're here now. Well, you want to come up and... Come on. We've got a team from YWAM and, um, that we're, we're talking to to see if they'll come and spend a week with us. So grab a mic. So tell us about your prayer walking. Yes, yeah, we did miss I you, but I'm glad you're here. Yeah, sorry, I was in there. I wanted to do a wee plug in there as well, you see. 
Oh, yes. Oh, good. Yeah, so they know about them because they're not saying. Good. Cool. So we're going to do this prayer walking, and um, I just think this is going to be an awesome opportunity. But if we saturate it in prayer, then we'll see God move and do some powerful stuff, which will be really awesome. Because I think there's a lot of needs in this local area, particularly in Māori Hau, that Kim Barton has shared with me as well. And so, yeah, lots of prayer needed. And Good. Um, so I'm going to do a prayer walk once a month for the next three months. And then I think from January, February, March, we'll do two in February, two in January, and then one per week in March. And then saturate it with prayer during the time. Yep, cool. That sound good? Yeah, sounds really good. Yeah, so I reckon about 10 people would be really helpful. Cool. Yeah. Hey, thanks. I really yeah, appreciate your enthusiasm for it too. Yeah, yeah. Great. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> right. Right. Now, next slide up, please. Right, what, we're going to have a, um, a special follow-up on the Sunday. Julia Grace is going to be here. We're going to print some little invitations. So you can invite everyone to Julia Grace. And, um, and then next slide, please. And one of the other things, we're going to have a, a sponsored catered, catered dinner. And we're going to give invites to people that just want to find out some more about the church. There'll be no pressure on them at all, but um, talk to Todd, and he's quite keen on that. The last church dinner we had was really, really good fun. So we're going to be doing the same thing again, but we're going to specifically target people out there in the community and say, look, you want to come along for a catered, sponsored church dinner? Just find a bit, a bit more about the church. We tell them about icons and a whole lot of other things. So uh, that's what we're going to be doing. So, uh, Todd, over to you. And yeah. Thank you. Cool. It's awesome. Uh, I think, Alex, you know, what, what the vision is um, is amazing for not only the church but for St Albans and hopefully, you know, further out than that as well. Um, just on the dinner, you know, last time 